a lot of times, especially when somebody's interviewing, you come off aloof, you can come off as a know-it-all, you can come off disengaged. And until you can understand how you're being perceived, you have no way of correcting it. The other thing that people do is that they answer questions. Instead of saying, that's interesting, why are you asking that? Because sometimes people don't really understand what they're doing. And if I have crossed a boundary for you and you're not strong enough to go, I'm not really understanding what you're asking me, I want pushback from my leaders. I don't want to just hire a bunch of yes people. But if you can't do that in an interview, if I ask you your opinion and, and you're just telling me, cuz, like I want to know this is my opinion and this is where it's coming from and this is how I formulate and so in an interview, I'm actually looking for somebody to stand with me, push back if need be, to go, wait a minute, I, I want to make sure I understand the question you're asking me, Amelia, so that I really give you the answer. Welcome back to another episode of the Who You Know Show podcast, where what you know is important, but who you know can make all the difference in your business, career, relationships, and life. My name is Trevor Houston. And on this show, you'll learn the strategy, grit, and mindset it takes to overcome obstacles so you can level up in your career, recover your cash flow, and live the life of purpose that God intended for you. Don't forget to look at the mic drop moments timestamped in the show notes below. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to pay it forward, subscribe, and leave an honest review so we can improve. Thanks for listening. My name is Trevor Houston, and please enjoy this episode of The Who You Know Show. We've got the one, the only Amelia Antonetti in the house, and we're super excited to have you here with us. Not as much as I'm excited. I've been telling everybody, these mics are gonna go flying around this studio. So first question I have for you is, why? Why did you become an entrepreneur? Why did you get started you know, with businesses and doing everything that you've been doing? You know, that's a great, so there was an article a gazillion and one years ago that Entrepreneur Magazine did probably going back a decade and they interviewed like 30,000 entrepreneurs and asked them why they did what they did, right? Because I think that's, I love behavior. And was it, you know, was it money? Was it power? What was it? And overriding, it was because they could, right? Entrepreneurs are driven to just walk on a different path, the path less traveled. And so for me, I wanted to create an environment that was more in alignment with personal lifestyles, right? So when I came into, you know, I guess my second or third company, I was like, you know what? This whole choosing to be a good parent or a good partner and have a career was like this either or just as unhealthy. And I was like, how do we get businesses to be in alignment to support people to be their, their highest and best? Truly develop them beyond where they can see to their fullest potential. But the operating system for companies wasn't there. And so I said, well, the only way I'm gonna be able to test this theory is if I start doing it in my own companies. And so that was the driving force was, I mean, remember this is back when there wasn't, you know, shared jobs and virtual offices and all of that stuff. You know, when I first brought in to the company, what we called shared jobs, shared whatever. People were like, you're out of your mind. And then we built a school in the middle of our company, right? So I was like, a parent should not have to commute to their children. And so we brought, like, we literally said, if you don't like kids and pets, this is probably not the company for you because people <laughs> brought them to work, right? And so we had all these kids in an atrium and we hired homeschool teachers and they schooled right there on campus and all the parents were around so they could actually see them, right? We were all in the floors, went around this big atrium so people oh. could have their you know, lunch with their kids or if somebody fell down, you know, mom and dad were right there. And it started creating a 
energy that propelled me to say I was on the right track because we never had to hire like a headhunter to find people lined up to work for us because they were committed to the lifestyle, not necessarily all of the other perks. And that's what led me to just keep charging forward on what we need for today's society, where we need for tomorrow's society and stop trying to tweak the old stuff that doesn't work and put a Band-Aid on it. Like, I'm like, it didn't work then. It's still not going to work. And a Band-Aid, we're beyond a Band-Aid, you know? And so the universal reset basically now gave everybody that opportunity. But we've seen historically these universal resets, right? You know, there's floods, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know the, the bugs, right? And so we have these opportunities as an entire, you know, civilization to grow. Well, I love what you're talking about because you do a lot of things for your employees. And I remember hearing you when, when we were here with Casey Haston, big shout out to, to Casey. I remember you talking about some of the things you do for your employees, for the people that work for you. And some of them just blew me away. Can you maybe shed some light into like, and you even said at one point, you were like, nobody could ever take one of my employees. Like, no. let them try, let, let them try. try. No, no. So I started with a really simple concept, right? And so I was, I'm, I love Winnie the Pooh. And so I, put it, these little honey pots over the company. And I said, when you're not here, what are you doing? Right. And people are like, what? I'm like, just whatever you're doing when you're not in this office, what is it? And people are like, you know, I'm cleaning the house. I'm doing yard work. I'm rotating tires, you know, mowing lawns, going grocery shopping, all those type of things. And for, for me as, as the CEO, right. Or the leader, I was like, I can do all those things. I wanted my team that when they weren't working, to be amazing partners, amazing parents, active members of their community, not working all week and then doing all honeydews, mm -hmm. right? And so the company actively does the honeydews for our team. And so wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Let's rewind that real quick. <laughs> so, so you're saying I'm gonna come work for you and then like, like dry cleaning or, or like changing the tires yep. or like the, the little things. All those little things that weigh down life. And so you have to think about it. So a CEO solves problems in a math capacity, mm -hmm. right? It's not a one-off. Mm -hmm. And so for me to call and say, okay, there's 200 cars in the parking lot and you're going to come and change the oils and rotate the car, right? It's while you're working, the in the parking lot, all the cars are going through. They're kind of like checking balances. Now, if you go to wherever, like Quick and Go or whatever that is, you're going to pay thirty nine, fifty bucks to do it. Right. But I'm master negotiator, so I get my cars all done for like twelve ninety five because I'm doing in mass. Same thing for shopping, right? So, I let a couple of the people in my company who love to shop. I hate to shop. Love to shop are going to Costco's and Sam's and they're doing the whole bulk buying for everybody. It allows everybody to take not 20 ketchups home because that's mm -hmm. going to go bad anyway. And so we, we work like a village and so that everybody goes home with groceries. Everybody goes home with clean laundry. Everybody goes home with their dry cleaning because we're all doing the same thing. I want to come work for you. We're yeah. doing it as a village. <laughs> we're doing it as a village. Yeah. I love That's awesome. Well, and it tells me just how forward thinking you are because if, if you... Look, I mean, you've been in business for a while, and this was probably before, like, even childcare at work was mainstream. Oh, wait, yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. People thought it was nuts. That was pioneering. Yeah, and but, but we still are, right? We're still looking forward to not what you need today, what do you need tomorrow? So I'm always pulling my team and my clients to say, what are your hopes? What are your goals? I don't look at a resume. 
I look for a business plan. You're going to come work for me. What are you going to ask me? Amelia, what's your business plan for the next three years? I want to know what your business plan is. Don't tell me what you've done. What are you going to do? What is the plan to get there? And I want to hear, I hope to buy a house. I hope to take a four-week vacation. I hope to learn a language. I, I want to know what your hopes and dreams are, just like you want to know what my hopes and dreams are, because then it tells me if we're going on the same path. But it also tells me, can I serve you? My job as the CEO is to serve every individual within my company. So I want to know, am I being set up to fail? I mean, are we, is this something that I can serve you with? And when I look at that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can make all these things happen. Well, that means then you trust me with your dream and I trust you that you're going to fulfill it. And so those types of activities within a company is what brings the camaraderie of, of trust and relationship and bonding and giving and taking into the company, whether the company is under one roof or it's virtual, it doesn't matter. Come on, guys. Okay, so first of all, she really genuinely wants to know what you want, like in life, so she can help you get it. So I'm curious. All Most these... leaders do. Real CEOs yes. who are building a company, who are building a community, really want to know who you are. The problem is, is we're conditioned to go in and be a robot and say, oh, blah, 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 and we really know nothing after that interview, any more than we did before. And so it's the authenticity of really getting clear on what do you want? What brings you joy? I, li I like that you said that you, they're trusting you with their dreams, right? Yes. Hopes and dreams, and you're trusting them that they're going to fulfill it. Like, what a great statement that is. Yeah, and it changes, right? So people mimic their environment, right? And so if they see the relationship between me and my team captains, then that's also the relationship between my team captains and their team and that team and the clients. So we are very committed to circles, right? I serve my people, my people serve the clients, the clients serve the community, and the community serves us as a company who's trying to improve the community. And it's all a circle of trust, right? And we learn by giving people the freedom to make a mistake and then turn around with authenticity and go, hey, listen, that didn't work for me. And here's what I think would have worked better, right? So there's not a problem without a solution, right? So that's yeah. right above my, my says, the I love, no problem I say that all land the time. on my desk. I say that all the time. Any problem, there's a solution that's to every problem. That's good parenting too. That's good parenting. Right, but it's also good when you talk about job seeking, right? Look at the companies that you're interested in. What is their problem? And solve it for them. Mm -hmm. Because uh, trust me, if you email me, tr get a hold of me, and they go like, listen, I noticed that you have this problem. And here's what I would do to fix it. I'd be like, oh, what? who is this person? Bring them in. Get <laughs> this person in here now. Yeah. Proactive. Yeah, right? CEOs, we're Proactive. fighting fires all the time. We're fighting fires, mm -hmm. and we've got problems and within our organization. We're always trying to solve them. There's always a problem. But a lot of them we don't even see. Yeah. Right? So if you, as from the outside perspective, can see a problem, and you just don't go, oh, Amelia, here's a problem. You're like, here's a problem. Here's a solution. I'll champion this. Mm -hmm. And here's what I need. I need this type of resources. I need this type of budget. And I need this timeline. And here's what I think the outcome is. I'm like, man, I will, I will hire Soul. you every Love single. It. I will find a job for you, right? 100%. So, so here's something else I want to talk about real quick. Can you tell us the story? Because I think this is super interesting. Can you tell us the story about you created the Listerine strip? Well, I did not create the Listerine strip. Okay, okay. So not accurate. Tell me about that. I was at a medical convention. I was okay. hired to speak. I still to this day have zero. I, and why I was hired to speak at a medical convention, I have no idea. 
but I was. Because you're that good. Right, exactly. Uh, no, I have no idea. So here <laughs> I am. I'm in Hong Kong. I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm speaking, you know, later on that day or the next morning. And I'm like, man, what am I doing here? Right. And so I was like, okay, well, I can either like go shopping or just like go to something else and just come when I actually have to speak. Or I can say, maybe the universe is trying to tell me something. Maybe there's something here that I'm supposed to be here, even though it doesn't make sense to me why I'm here. And so I started looking at the, you know, the agenda for the couple of days. I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. This is kind of interesting. Let me just pop into some of these seminars. One of the seminars that I was in, the little guy at the front of the room was talking about a medical delivery system that they had invented for old people, for old people who can't swallow pills. This new patented technology melted on their tongue so that old people didn't have to swallow. And I was like, that's interesting. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> I'm like, what would it be for a licensing for North America? And they're like, what? And I was like, just, I want to license the technology. I don't really care about the whole pill swell swallowing thing over there, but I wanted to put breath freshener and I wanted to bring it into OTC <laughs> over the counter. And so that's what I, so I brought the license for this medical device into the U.S. and then end up selling it to Dr. Fresh and then selling it to Listerine. Got so you. it's about maximizing an opportunity that you might not necessarily see that's obvious. But I will find that most opportunities come in disguise. Mm -hmm. So audience, how many of you have used the Listerine strip? I'm just <laughs> curious. Tell me in the chat. I've used one before, right? Thank you. Oh, right. Oh, <laughs> it was like, little lady, this is a highly sophisticated medical device. No, 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 I got it. And applause to you. I'm really trying to use it in a much simpler form. Right. And, and it was hard, right? Because so for him, he thought it was being condescending because he had spent, you know, all this time on this, you know, big invention. And I was like, can I just simplify it? So I was watching your interview with Casey Haston and you talked about in that interview, there was a specific moment, an interaction that you had with Snoop Dogg. Oh, yes. Yes. I love him. <laughs> Yes, yes. Although I didn't know who he was. And, and it changed your perception on some things. About everything. Your outlook. Yep. Yes. So okay. I was in Vegas, again, asked to speak. It was really late. It was like two, two o'clock in the morning. I was dressed in hooker heels and the whole nine yards. And I was waiting to go <laughs> in the elevator bank. I was by myself, 2 a.m., woman, by self, 2 a.m., <laughs> trying to go up the elevator. And the elevator stopped. And there was a group of African-American gentlemen standing in there. And I went to walk in and then I pulled back. I was like, whoa, not doing that. And then they looked at me and the guy who was standing beside him was like, just because we're black doesn't mean that it's dangerous. Or so made a comment like that. And I was like, what? And so I got in the elevator and I was sitting there for a second. I was like, wait a minute. So you think I paused because you're black? And they looked at me and I was like, you realize that there are three men in this elevator and there's just me that I would have paused if it were any combination of men. I'm like, I'm not that girl, right? This, you know, I'm like, so it was weird that they saw from their perspective that it was a, a skin color issue. And for me, it was a safety issue, a hundred percent. I was like, Wow, our perspective on this scenario is entirely different. You, you always hear people, two people watch a movie, right. and they they both tell you that you know one was a love story and what, you know one was was a tragedy. And so I was like, wow, and, and that really started to change. To go, something is always happening, but what you think is happening is not what's happening. And so then I asked, I was like, who? There was there was these guys, and like you know one of them had these pink tails. I was like, oh, that was Snoop Dogg. And so I started, and I so I wrote a letter to him. I wrote a letter and say, I want to let you know. 
that you had such an impact on me that I now realize that I gotta get out of my own head. I've gotta be able to see what other people think is happening, to be able to bridge those conversations so that real growing can happen, right? Real connection happen. If they wouldn't have said something and I didn't say something, both of us would have left that moment without any learning. Mm -hmm. And so they learned and I learned. And that opportunity is in front of us each and every day, but we're so committed to the story we want to tell ourselves. We're so committed to being politically correct. We're so committed to all the negativity that we miss all the positive side of what happens when two people really see each other and really understand, like, wait a minute, you're misinterpreting my action. What I really mean is this. And then people go, oh, wow, I thought it was something entirely different. And it happens with you know, employer, employee. It happens mm-hmm. with parent, child. It happens in your partnerships and your relationships. It just happens in your just regular interaction, right? Is that you interpret what's happening your way and you believe that's the only story that's happening. That is not. There's always a myriad of stories going on in any given circumstance. And I want to relate this to the job seeker community, right? Because mm-hmm. I I get this and I've, I've gotten this feeling a lot in a lot of conversations, Trevor, you can probably say the same thing is that sometimes they're in their own way. They have this myopic view. Yeah. Big time. Right? Right. And their, their troubles are their, you know, they're, they're so bad. They're, they're all on them and no, nothing else, right? Is they're not doing anything, everything else, excuse me. Right. What Victim I mentality. Yeah. Right. Is, mm-hmm. is wrong. Well, this wasn't right. And this person, they just didn't get it. And, you know, it's like they don't inwardly, right? have any insight as to who they are and what they're doing. So if you're interviewing, right, literally, so let's pretend you're interviewing, right? You should take a video and you should interview and then you should watch it and say, are you putting out the image and who you are correctly? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, especially when somebody's interviewing, you come off aloof, you can come off as a know-it-all, you can come off disengaged, you can, can come off a lot of different ways when you're nervous. And until you can understand how you're being perceived, yep. you have no way of correcting it. That's right. right. The other thing that people do is that they answer questions, right? Instead of saying, that's interesting. Why are you asking that? Mm. Right? Because you're still in control. Question with a question. Because sometimes you don't, people don't really understand what they're doing, right? And a lot of times, especially when somebody is over a boundary for you, Right. And so if when you're talking about an executive position or a leadership role, and if I have crossed a boundary for you and you're not strong enough to go, I'm not really understanding what you're asking me, that pushback, I want pushback from my leaders. I don't want to just hire a bunch of yes people. I want people to go, you know what? I don't think this is a good good idea. Mm -hmm. Are you looking at the whole scope? But if you can't do that in an interview, right? And and if you can take on my type of personality, right? I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a big presence. I'm, I can be very, I won't say confrontational, but I want to know why and how come, like, what is, if I ask you your opinion and, and you're just telling me, cause, like, I want to know this is my opinion and this is where it's coming from. And this is how I formulate it. Like, I want to really understand. I truly care about people. Mm-hmm. And so in an interview, I'm actually looking for somebody to stand with me, push back if need be to go, wait a minute. I, I want to make sure I understand the question you're asking me, Amelia, so that I really give you the answer. Well, now I know you're aware and present in the actual conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's so important. Don't just memorize and go in there and look like a robot. Or just memorize tell me what you think like, I want to hear. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right, because yeah. I'm going to find 
quickly, right, people forget that how you present yourself can very easily be checked on all your social channels. Oh, yeah. So if you present yourself as I am this, you know, alpha leader, blah, 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 blah. And then I do a search on your social and I'm like, well, there's a gap, right? <laughs> it, it's it. You've just walked yourself out of a job. Yep. You're yeah. not being authentic. Right. You're not you being authentic. You have to present across all platforms. This is who I am. This is what I care about. This is my value system. This is what has meaning. And here's what I believe are you know, the boundaries of me being whoever I am. And that is that check and balance that people don't realize that for big positions, they're looking, they're mm -hmm. looking. I try to tell young people this all the time. I'm like, that is probably going to hurt you when you're looking to be part of the C-suite because I can find it. All right. So I want to switch gears for just a second here. Uh -oh. So I know you wear a lot of hats. You got a lot of things going on. I know you also work with Steve Harvey. I saw an episode called Next Best Success and it had Grant Cardone in it. And I got a clip. I want to go ahead and play that clip for the audience real quick. Before the break, we had two great young inventors present a million grant and me with two great inventions. But we're only crowning one the next big success and gonna give them $10,000 to grow their business. So let's get down to the business. Before making the decision, your final thoughts on me, truthfully, and Truth go at it. So, so I love your enthusiasm. I like the core values of why you started the company. But here's what I have a problem with. You're talking about a trend that's here right now. I don't think it's going to sustain. Emojis are here today, but they're not going to be here in a couple of years from now. You, okay, you have the fun names, and your packaging is flat. Your youth and enthusiasm should be in your packaging. You've got Fluffinutter, and then you get a label that goes, eh, I'm like everybody else. You need some polish. You're in a very competitive, very competitive industry. I want to look at your picture and I want to go, wow. What you do looks very complicated to me. <laughs> you know, say the two and a half million dollars, all that sounds good. I don't know how you compete with a Whole Foods and a nat Nature's and, and, and scale out like that. Maybe you can, and, and I hope you can. You'll never operate on a 40% margin going forward. And that's why you didn't want to say that, because that space is so, so competitive. And I hope Steve doesn't give you the 10 grand because he's wasting his money. I say he's I not. Say, I, I say, say he's not. Let me tell you, because I like this business. I like that what you're at is right now. I don't, here I don't today, care. gone tomorrow. I don't care if it's gone tomorrow. Right now, right here, you could be making money. You need to get your costs out of wherever you're doing this. Send that production to some other country. I know nobody likes that idea. Thank you. I'm not running for president. <laughs> okay. This is this is a business. You need to go where the cost can get down to under two bucks so you can sell this thing yeah, for nineteen dollars. Now you've missed the trend. The next trend is coming and then you're belly up. It's not worth the investment, right? At least you're in a marketplace that has everybody's got emotions, dude. Got, Stay with it. Yeah. I'm angry today, you pay me. I'm happy Market tomorrow, I get paid. Says he doesn't okay? have it. No. I'm gonna spend a hundred of this ten thousand on an alcoholic drink right now. <laughs> I gotta give it to you. What is it like to work with a guy like that? I listen. I've known Grant for a long time. You know, I, I it's one of the reasons why I recommended him to be on the Steve Show, right? Oh, okay. He's got a really good insight, and so I like, you know, duking it out you know, verbally from different perspectives. Right. Somebody's going to defend it because, you know, you open up, you know, what well, maybe that's maybe that's right or maybe that's something that I don't see. But 
I'm also willing to defend my position, especially when you're talking about mass consumer goods. Like mm. I've spent a good deal of time in mass consumer goods and, you know, trying to help the younger people that were in front of us, like what is their next move? And so the banter for me is where brilliance comes from. So bantering with a Steve Harvey or a Grant Cardone or a Gary Vee is where Tim Ferriss, right? You're going to get that next level of thinking. And it may not happen right then. It may be when you overnight process going, you know what? That was really an interesting point that he had to make, right? And so I think amongst colleagues, that's what they're looking for, right? We get a lot of, yes, you're great, you're wonderful. That doesn't do anything for me, right? And so when I banter with Grant, it's given me entirely different insight, right? Because he comes from real estate, right? So he's looking for, you know, those, those long-term investments, mm -hmm. you know, those hidden gems. And he's wired that way. He's very, very good at what he does. You know, I come from mass consumer goods, which is, which is, you know, been really disrupted with direct to consumer now, right? You can really right. build a business now and use your social and skip over all of the retail. Well, mm -hmm. there's some really good pros and cons about that, but you have to understand the game that you're in. And when a lot of people, when they have a great idea, they have a great idea while the trend is happening, right? Like they, like by the time you think of it, I'm like, okay, you've got to be ahead of it. Yeah. It's already right? over. It's already over. Same thing too, as a business leader, I'm trying to think about what my my employees need tomorrow, not what they need today, what they need next before they think about it. Same thing too, when I look about something that's going to go in the marketplace, what is the offering or the service or the product that consumers are going to need next, right? That's, yeah. that's the kind of secret sauce to being able to put your money into an investment so that you catch it on, on the up part of the bell curve. Well, in, in our professional side, right? It's kind of like the, the market. Yes, right. It's the market. Yeah, you know, you, you hear, you hear. Oh, this is a great investment. By the time you hear that as a consumer, yeah, it might be already, right, You're buying it high instead of up before, right? Yeah, you're everybody's trying high. to push some Bitcoin right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody's yeah. trying to push that. And that's part about being in the moment to start using your brain to go. What's the trend? Right. Where is it going? Right. right. Because if you look at industries, right, something that happens in entertainment then usually affects your beauty care that that affect, right? Affect, it goes clothing, jewelry, like one thing affects another thing. And so you have to see what the trend is, right? And then get better at what your, what your experience does with that trend. And then that's where you want to invest money. But like you guys always know, you know, your portfolio has to be high risk and low risk. It's got to be short term and long term. It's never one egg in one basket. Right. And it's unfortunate that entrepreneurs have a tendency to do that one egg in one basket with ever, without ever thinking outside of their own head. And I'm like, you got to bounce your ideas and what you're thinking amongst colleagues so that you get that other perspective, right? Or the other story. Well, I love that. Iron yeah. sharpens iron, right? Yes. And so, yep. so you get some high, like, like you and Grant Cardone and yeah. some other people, you get these different perspectives that maybe not yeah, but right we like wrong, each other. Like yeah. I'm saying, we love we like each other. We love that banter. That's, oh, I, I loved it, it. You know, it's, it's I could tell. I yeah, could tell. Yeah, it yeah. Was there, there, there's no animosity. I'm like no. Grant and I are, are friends. Love but that. if I need that, hey, would you, let me run something by you. Like he's gonna give me what he thinks. Right. He's not gonna sugarcoat it. Yeah. But he knows the same thing to me. If he calls and goes, Hey, I got this idea, I'm like, no, nope, not gonna work. Here's why. Boom, 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 boom. He knows that my my pattern is to give you something and then give you supporting information on how I'm coming to that conclusion. Now, if my supporting information is missing something, right, then that's why I go, oh, okay, now that I know this, maybe I may pivot here. But you need your colleagues. I mean, you need your network. Your network is what helps round you 
to the next level and the next level and the next level of success. Your network is your net worth. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the Genius Key. I know that as part of your process, you talk about how it removes bias. So the purpose of the Genius Key was to be able to create a new people operating system inside of a company that a company could be more healthy with its people. And so what happens is one side of the Genius Key is helping individuals within a company to understand what is their genius and how does that apply across the entire company and the entire workflow. So not just in the department that you're in, all the way across the company, how does your genius apply to all of these projects and tasks? Yeah. And then what is innate and what did you pick up along the way? Because it makes a difference with your growth trajectory. Then on the other side, it's showing the executives, whether it's the board, the investors, the CEO, the entrepreneur, their vision broken down into projects with individual keys. The matrix then matches the project keys to the genius keys of the individuals and then pings the individuals to say, here's all the projects within the company that match your genius. So now you're not stuck in sales or stuck in marketing or stuck in human resources or stuck in admin. You're looking at all the opportunity in the company of where you can contribute and add value. So then you start looking at the individual project and you're like, okay, this project's three months. Maybe this project is four months. Maybe this one's two weeks. There's four people. There's eight people. There's 20 people. There's two people. And then it goes, why am I bothering you? So it's saying, okay, on this project, <laughs> I'm looking for your strategy key, Amelia. On this one, I'm looking for your right order, priority order key. This one, I'm looking for my organization. This one is looking for my fish. I know why you want me on this project. And then I go, you know what? This is interesting, and I click yes. Once I click yes, I'm interested, they now know I happen to be an Italian female. Until then, they know nothing. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter about your education, doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, green, it doesn't matter what you're in, because none of that matters. You're a fit. In fit. the vision of a company, the work is agnostic. What happens is people get in the way and they assign work because it's okay, I know you and I really need this project done, so I think you will help me. I'm not actually analyzing if it's part of your genius, if it matches you, if it's in alignment with your lifestyle. I'm not doing any of that. Now the system is doing that with you to say, wait a minute, this is where Trevor's genius is and these projects he can add immediate value to. So now the CEO has a better way of pairing and matching people to the work. And then it's self-driven. So if you want to really do something, but it's not pinging you because it's not your natural state, you can then learn a learning module so that you then pick up that key. So there's no more biases. I can't say, oh, my company doesn't develop me. You can develop yourself all day long. My company doesn't pick me for projects. You get to pick all the projects that you want to pick all self-driven. So for all of you job seekers out there that feel like you're dealing with some age bias or whatever type yeah. of bias, right? Actually, Look for a genius company to go work for. Yeah, you need to work for a genius company. Okay, so I have my results here. Okay. All right, so it says my learning genius score is uh, kinesthetics. Correct, so that kinesthetic means that is how you imprint information. So there's okay. three primary learning styles. They usually happen between the ages of zero and three years old. And what that means is how you are predispositioned to retain information. And what we don't realize is that we will learn all three over time. But if you're hungry, you're tired, you're learning something for the first time, any of your hierarchy needs are not being met, you default to a kinesthetic. What that means is a visual person 
makes a collage out of everything. So even if they heard a bird, they put a bird on a collage. So deep, people who are visual remember by those pictures. And it doesn't matter if it happened yesterday or 10 years ago, they picked that same collage open. An auditory person takes every experience and they put it into bullet points. And they only really remember the things that they believe contributed to the value statement of it, right? So they're not going to remember like a visual, what did I wear? What restaurant did we meet at? They're going to remember we were supposed to meet at eight. You showed up at 8.03, mm. right? So that's the things that are coming on their list. The kinesthetic learner isn't using their eyes and they don't use their ears. They remember the actual experience itself. So even if you're doing recall, you're going to remember that you felt a certain way in this experience. You made me feel a certain way. That's right. A certain kind of way. There you go. It also says my energetic genius is goal energized. Which means you want to cross things off the list. Goal oriented, action oriented, cross things off the all list, day get things accomplished. Right. And so reds have a tendency that they're perceived, doesn't mean that they are, they're perceived to be a little bit colder, a little bit more because you, we don't go in and go, hey, how are you doing? How was the weekend? How's the kids? We go and go, okay, let's get done. Yeah, right. So we neat. jump into action. Yeah. And so we get characterized sometimes as not caring. We're extremely caring. We just want to have an accountability and efficiencies of what we want to be able to do. We feel better when we know a list is crossed off. Now, you said reds. You have them color-coded. They're color-coded. It's similar because isn't the Myers-Briggs color-coded too? Like you're a red and a green or a... Not Myers. No? There are some okay. that are... And the reason we, we why we use color-coding is that we color-code projects, right? Okay. So him being a kinesthetic, right? So a kinesthetic, they're really good at problem-solving, right? He doesn't want to come into a project that's already done or repetitive, right? Kinesthetics, the experience. So if I go in and go, oh, this whole project is already done. I just want you now to knock. And they're like, he's like, I'm not contributing. He wants the experience. So anything that I have a project and I'm not sure how I want it done, I would give it to a kinesthetic. Just super accurate. Right? It is so right? accurate. And then action oriented, I know he is going to want to know what's the deliverable, what timeline, what's the, like, how is he being measured, right? So that's how he's going to do that action oriented. So these projects are color coded. So that when he's looking at a project, he can know that this is a red project. It's action oriented. It's going to go fast. It's not going to those things match him versus he may look at another project that he could be interested in because it's creative and it's going to be innovative, but it's going to go deep. It may, it's colored orange. So he knows he's not going to go the pace he wants it to go to, but he may learn because he's going to dive down deep in the detail. So by color coding, and we put all kinds of little widgets all over it so people can better identify with what the project is going to feel like, right? Mm. Remember, money is not the motivation for people. We've learned this statistically, that even if I give you a raise, your lifestyle hasn't changed. People who win the lottery, within two and a half years, they go back to their baseline. Yeah. Money does not bring most people the life they think that it will. But we have all this evidence, right? Great, you got a raise. What did you do with the extra money? I don't know, a paid bill. You know, they don't, there's no major impact. And so what we find within organizations is if you match people's genius keys and reward them in what has meaning to them, that's where life starts to feel good. Yes, you need the income and yes, you have to have the perks. But day by day, right, it's the feeling. When I give somebody that I say, okay, here's two scenarios. One, I'm going to give you a billion dollars and you're going to hate your life. You're going to hate what you're doing every day. You're going to be miserable, but you have a billion dollars. Or here, you're going to be able to maintain your lifestyle. You're going to love the things that you do. You're going to love the people that you work with and you're going to feel like you're an active member 
and having an impact on the world, which one will you choose? Yeah, Always will choose this one. Yeah, give me the impact all day. So why do we reward people just monetarily? We have to reward them as a whole being, what matters to them as a whole being, hmm. and then develop them to the next phase because what is rewarding for you today isn't rewarding for you tomorrow. Depends on where you are on the trajectory. And so companies have to change their operating system and start building this kind of relationship with their individual employees. All right, so I also got the receiving gen genius is awards, trophies, and prizes. Oh yeah, yep. that's 100% accurate. But here's the psychological <laughs> part of that, right? People can at first pass think that this means materialistic and it does not. It's evidence, right? Yes. They want evidence to be able to say, yes, I did this and I did that. I gave Trevor a watch and I inscribed it with saying, hey, you're meaningful and you're important. He's pointing to the watch, not because the watch is valuable. He's pointing to because of what it represents. 100%. It's proof. So when I was in the auto industry, I was top performer of the year and my award wasn't a trophy. It was a watch. Right. And that's what had meaning. I still have that watch. Mm -hmm. It's in a case. I'm like, this is, that's my trophy. Right. That's, that's you know, your, when we talk about reward language, yeah. that's what fills you up from mm -hmm. the inside. So when people try to love you in their own way, right? So if I want to give you acknowledgements, oh, great. That's not filling you up. You need those tangible things that identify and put you in that place to go overachieving. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So you have to be able to understand what has meaning to somebody else and then give them what that is for them. It's very unfortunate that most humans try to do an abundance of what they want on other people. And then they go, why am I not getting the response I want? And then they stop doing it. That what they understand is that it's not the same language. And so once you identify what somebody's receiving language is, what fills them up, now you can be more efficient. Now I only have to give that to him. So instead of me running around going, you're great, which is exhausting, all I got to do is now just going, hey, this had meaning, here's a certificate signed by Amelia, go have a whatever, romantic night on me. That is going to have meaning to him because it's personalized and he's got something he can put on the wall that said, Amelia did this. And so we do a lot of spray and pray and then wonder why we don't get the results. <laughs> I like that. We talk about spray and pray oh, too. Yeah. All right. Compatibility genius is a sweet reliever. Yes. So I know that makes no sense to you. That's why you're it's, here. Right. So in this group, right? So what that really helps you with the compatibility is to allow you to understand where brilliance happens, right? So in conflict is where you find brilliance. And so it's talking to you about what kind of people to pair you with that pushes you beyond your natural barriers, not too far where it's uncomfortable, but far enough out of the comfort zone so that you continue growth. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it's talking, that's talking about there, right? So you want something that's meaningful. You want something that's influential. You want to be seen, heard, and recognized for your own talent. But you like to be brought into projects that are just a little bit out of your reach because then you scale. Right. It helps push me a little bit further. You're not going to do it on your own. Yeah. You're not going to go, I think I want to be uncomfortable today. I'm going to go do this. But if you are paired with somebody to go, listen, I really think we could take this on together and this is how we're going to accomplish it, then you'll reach a little bit farther. And then you'll do it again. Look, there's a bunch more in here and I wish we had more time, but I do want to just do something real quick. Hold on, uh -oh. hold on, uh -oh. hold on. Y'all see this? Uh-oh. This is the golden mic. Thanks for listening to the Who You Know Show podcast. My name is Trevor Houston. And if you've enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing wherever you listen and leave us a positive review to help us keep the mics on in the studio. Until next week, that's the show. It's all about who you know. Who you know.